Um, I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Brad just gave me an extra chapter, so um, chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, but that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods or many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing in this in hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes through strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to us from, keep, from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons too. 
you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. It's been a while since I've been up here. Um, yes, I'm Brad, my, uh, one of the ministers in our DFW network of churches, no longer a minister here, but still a minister in our network of churches. So yeah, it's been a long time since I've been up here, and it's neat to be back up here. Um, so yeah, that was an easy three chapters of reading. Uh, I'm sure all of you grasped fully what, uh, what was being said. If you missed it, basically what's happening is Paul is a foodie, okay? This is proof that he's a foodie. All he cares about throughout both, all three of these chapters is food and drink. Um, so, you know, there you go. That's what you get from it. So this has kind of been a, a, a three-chapter segment of the scripture that's been mishandled a lot over the years, and so I'm going to do my best to not mishandle it. Uh, but this food sacrificed idols thing is kind of a hard thing to understand, and so I'm going to try my best to apply it to us this morning. So what's happening here is that in Corinth, there are these temples, kind of like almost restaurants that are basic places for people to go and eat. There's a lot of pressure to eat at them, um, but it, it just happens that a lot of these places, the food is sacrificed to idols, whether it's a meat market, whether it's one of these restaurants, places people are going. And so Paul gets wind that the uh, very mature Corinthian church, which has all kinds of problems uh, already, is basically going into these places because they know idols are nothing and, uh, and eating the food sacrificed to idols. And they, they sort of brag about this to Paul. Okay, and Paul's response is sort of three things. One, in chapter 8, is guys, knowledge puffs up, so be careful. Love builds up. Number two and nine, he says, you know, you think you have all this knowledge, but you're causing the weaker people among you to stumble. And look at me, I haven't even asked you for food and drink. I haven't even taken my right, which is that you should pay me for my ministry. I haven't even done that. And here you are with your knowledge, eating and drinking, causing others to stumble. Look at my example here. And then in 10, he addresses the issue head on, which isn't just about weak people. It's about you are worshiping idols. This practice for you of food sacrifice to idols has become an idol. Not just the thing itself, but the thing, your knowledge, is an idol. Okay? So I want to kind of make sense of all that, but first I want to give you a little illustration. You four guys right here, will you stand right here in like a little square? 
with your backs to each other in a square, okay? Backs to each other in a square. Wow. Okay, great. Now take one step forward real quick. All right, there we go. Okay. That's, that's okay. We're, we're going to work with that. That's great. That's, that's perfect. That's perfect. It's a square. All right, I'm going to show you a really quick video. Uh, you guys just have to stand there awkwardly for 30 seconds. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for participating. So this video is of the ranch. Many of you know where the ranch is. Um, this is my amazing drone footage, which I don't know if it's really coming across. Okay, great. This is where we were the other day uh, when we had our big uh, uh, deal, big event, uh, where we had our cookout. So at, at the height of this, we're at about 300 feet high, okay? So you kind of get a sense this is pretty high up there. How many of you would be willing to be in a hot air balloon that's this size, about 300 feet over my house? Wow, that's a lot less than I thought. Okay. Here's a, now you can take the video off, and here's another picture. How many of you would be willing to go 12,000 feet above the Earth in a hot air balloon this same size? So before you say yes, you've got to look at the picture of someone skydiving. Maybe uh, I, I kind of cut my own self off with the video. Sorry about that. Okay, so that's 12,000 feet above the ground. How many of now would do that in an air balloon, which is what most of them can fly up to? Okay, significantly less. Thank you guys very much. Sorry to make you stand up here awkwardly. All right, you can sit down. Now how many of you would be willing to go up to the tallest building in the world, which is about 2,700 feet high? And just go up to the top of it. You got a building? Yeah, okay, great. People are like, I don't know where this is going. I want to suggest to you that what Paul is doing here is he's using a really great metaphor, and uh, it's kind of like our knowledge is a hot air balloon, all right? The bigger and bigger it gets, the higher and higher it gets, the further away from reality it ultimately is. One of the reasons we would go 3,000 feet up in a building, but not 300 feet up in a balloon, is because it's at least attached to the ground, right? It at least gives us some sense that we're in something, on something, connected to something, right? But knowledge is exactly like this. It, as it puffs up, it becomes less and less about reality and truth, and more and more about pride and anything else you want to put in there to the point where you get so high up, you're, you're basically not even hot air anymore, it's just all lies. Okay? So high up in your hot air balloon that you believe all lies. What started off with some little bit of knowledge became all lies. Guys, this is the only way I can imagine an 18-year-old going 300 miles to kill 11 black people and two white people. His world is so evil, so full of lies that may have started off with some kind of truth that he is so puffed up and off the ground. That balloon has long since sailed. And so we've got to be very careful that we don't allow our knowledge, okay, to become ungrounded. And so Paul is saying love is what builds up. Love is the building. As we interact with each other, as we care about people, as we humanize people, that is ultimately what builds us up. And so Paul is, is very much uh, trying to use an example here uh, that would help us uh, be very humble about the things that we think we know. Okay? So, I think Paul summing up here in chapter 10 says, be careful your knowledge doesn't lead to sin, namely idolatry, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And remember, just because something is allowable, it doesn't mean it's good. And just because it might be okay for you, it doesn't mean it might be for someone else. 
So I uh, attempted, I've been thinking about this for months now, and trying to kind of figure out how will I bring the food sacrifice to idols to bear in our day and age. And so I'm going to make a little bit of a stretch and, uh, and suggest to you that some of the principles of idols that he's talking about can be applied to how we think about politics, okay? And politics is not something I enjoy talking about very much. I'm not incredibly political. Uh, I do think it's important to vote and think through things, but I just tend to kind of be passive uh, and uh, not necessarily thinking that's a good thing. My wife is not. A number of other friends that I have are not. Uh, but I'll just tell you, this is not my, my favorite topic to talk about. I do not like talking about politics. And it's not because I'm a, not a disagreeable person or I don't like to offend people. I like to do that a lot, and I am very disagreeable, <laughs> and you guys know that. So it's not that. It would seem like the perfect thing to talk about for someone who has my, uh, you know, sort of personality and, you know, whatever else. But it, it is not. And I want to say one more thing. For our BIPOC meeting today, which is, um, you know, uh, our black indigenous people of color, we don't, can't come up with a better name for it, that's just what we, uh, what? But no, no, don't, no. Um, we, we listened to a sermon that Surratt gave, and I'm going to recommend that you listen to that sermon uh, at East Plano Fellowship, because he does a way better job of what I'm about to talk about than I'm going to do, okay? So if this is an interesting topic to you, Listen to Sirach's sermon from East Plano Fellowship. I'm not going to lie, he talks a little slow, so I listened to it at 1.75. And got through it much quicker, which is really cool that Plano has that function for sermons. I think we should have that too. I would listen to so many more sermons if I could listen to him at 1.75 speed. Um, Yeah, which is, yeah, okay, great. So, four things uh, why I think this applies. Number one is we're talking about something that's not... Uh, bad by nature, okay? It's not wrong by nature. Politics is certainly not wrong by nature, like the food sacrifice to idols. Number two, it becomes an issue for weak people among us. We cause them to stumble, uh, encourage them to do things they ought not, whatever else, politics. It tempts us to sin, namely idolatry, which we'll talk about in a moment. And four, it's a great opportunity for us, one that we miss, to submit to each other out of Christ, okay? So I submit to you that those are the four reasons that I think we can probably possibly talk about politics as, uh, as food sacrifice to idols. We'll see how we go, how it goes. Okay, so let me just make this statement before I dive right in. We may have the right to be political, but we need to be very careful about the freedom, okay, and not make it an idol that keeps us from, from submitting to each other and looking out for the weak among us. That's how I would apply uh, this topic to what, what Paul's talking about in First Corinthians. Okay, So, uh, how does uh, politics become an idol for us? Well, Paul actually, in verse uh, 1 through 5 here, uh, references back to the Israelites uh, the whole golden calf experience. I don't know if you remember the golden calf. It's kind of a comical story, but at the same time a really uh, terrible story. Uh, I always read it because it was the line that comes out to me is that in went some uh, stuff and out came a calf. That's how Aaron... uh, you know, um, justifies himself to Moses. He's like, I don't know what happened. In went some stuff, some jewelry, out came a calf, no clue how it got there. Okay? Believe it or not, that's not exactly how it went. Uh, I want to read Exodus 32 with you really quickly, um, 1 through 9. So if you want to turn there, uh, this is what Paul is referencing when he talks about uh, people grumbling and um, all that stuff in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 7. So Exodus 32, 1 through 9. Guys, there with me? Great. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, 
they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. By the way, the people are waiting for the Ten Commandments, right? God's speaking to Moses. It comes back with the law. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Okay? Um, lost my place there. Uh, yep. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Uh, and then it, we don't read, well, I guess we'll read that. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from me what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. Uh, yeah, and then God wants to destroy them and Moses, you know, in their stead. So why does Paul mention this? Well, I think he mentions it because he's hearkening back to that, that even the people's knowledge of God wasn't enough. They chose, uh, because they didn't love God, um, to, uh, to create this golden calf. So I think there's at least two things here uh, that will apply to us. Number one, they were tired of waiting, so they acted on their own. I think this is one of the first steps towards idolatry, is when we're tired of waiting for something and we begin to act on our own apart from God. Certainly the case with politics, when we believe that things ought to happen faster than they're happening or whatever else, we begin to turn to other things other than God, all right? And that's what the people do here. In fact, they question Moses' leadership. Who is this guy? Where is he? Where did he go? I think if we're going to apply that immediately to politics, guys, we ought to kind of consider how is our vote to pray at a ratio. When we vote for something, how often are we voting versus how often are we praying for it? It kind of seems cliche and silly, and I think it's true, but really honestly, ask yourself, what's your vote-to-pray ratio? Some of you pray only and don't vote and aren't participating. I don't agree with that at all. Others of you vote a lot and don't pray for the issues that we have, but that should say something to you about how uh, politics uh, has kind of taken the place of God for some of us. Okay, so we're tired of waiting. We go on our own. Number two, and... and uh, I think just as important but kind of overlapping is they placed all their value in something they thought they could control. They gave all the earrings, all of their stuff into this golden calf that they had control and ability over. All right? And so often this is what happens in politics. We sacrifice what is right so that we can have power. It's a means justify the ends thing. As long as we have power, my group, my people, they'll all set it right eventually no matter how I get there. And some of us, unfortunately, have become simply a mouthpiece okay, for the power structures that we participate in and we label ourselves with. We're literally just their mouthpiece. Talk, 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 talk. Never really shining much light on our own truth and our own possession, our, uh, position, but always willing to kind of talk to other people about why they're wrong and what's going on. And it's just nothing other than a, a simple grasp for power. We want to be in control. And the irony, of course, at the end of the day is that golden calf can't even do what a basic calf does. It is simply a golden calf. It's stuck. It's dead. It's lifeless. And so we go to the things that have no life to try to give us life. Yeah. Verse 5 is probably the most insidious, uh, and it kind of sums up what's going on here. You see how Aaron at first, the people are saying, you know, bring us gods. 
But in verse 5, Aaron says we're going to celebrate the Lord tomorrow. As if somehow he's equating or combining celebrating the Lord with this golden calf. Okay? God wasn't enough for them. They had to add the golden calf on top, try to do both at the same time. He wasn't enough. And when God isn't enough, we're searching for the things around us that can take his place. Or at least add to what's lacking in God. And politics often does that for us. And that's really, really problematic. We start slapping God's names on things that aren't his. And that aren't about him. See, it's the opposite of what Paul is talking about when he says, do all things to the glory of God. He's saying you need to actually put things uh, uh, you need to glorify God by putting his name on the things that are his. And we've gone to the opposite end. We've started slapping God's names on things that he doesn't want anything to be, want anything to do with. They're our stuff, ultimately. It's exactly what uh, Aaron does here when he slaps God's name onto uh, the golden calf. And what's worse than that is when God's name is put onto things that they don't belong on, okay, we begin to shape the God that we believe in. And that God becomes in our own image, and not in his image. And people follow that as well. Okay? We don't, no longer see people in God's image, we see them in our own image, or whatever image we want. There are a number of other outgro- or, or kind of uh, results of this. We stop trusting our leaders, particularly our Christian leaders. Okay? We want to start maybe paying more attention to people who we agree with. This is certainly what's happening in 1 Corinthians, where they're sort of picking and choosing what leaders they want to follow. They're not actually paying attention to their leaders. And this can go both ways. Either we're not listening to our leaders at all, or we're trying to you know, blindly follow leaders because they're in the camp that we want to be in. Guys, just because someone tells you something in our church, you ought to always compare what's being said back to Jesus. Yeah. It's very important. And you may like a leader, and he may be really great, and his rhetoric good, and have a lot of charisma, but if he doesn't speak the words of Jesus, we've got a real problem. And just because you like him, and he's your favorite... Uh, that's knowledge puffs up, not love builds up kind of stuff, okay? Uh, we group ourselves. Uh, just think back to the, to the balloon example here. So many of us in our political conversations are up at 12,000 feet yelling across the divide at people who are all, aren't anywhere near us. They can't hear us at all. The only people who can hear us are the people in our balloon who already believe what we believe, okay? It's a, just a funny thing to think about, okay? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, that's, that's the knowledge puffing up, not the love building up stuff. And here's where things get really rough, I think. If they're taken to their fullest extent. If God isn't enough, then people certainly aren't. So we begin to demonize them, use them, and do all kinds of things that ignore that they're image bearers. Okay? And that's what's happening here. Is they're not protecting the weak among them. Uh, they're not taking care of the very people who God cares most about. And I'm not talking about the, vul- you know, the nameless week that some of us vote for to take care of. Yes, those are people who are important too, guys. I'm talking about people in our body, people who we have arms reach. That, what does that even look like? I've had a really tough time coming up with examples of this, and I came up with two really bad ones, I think. Um, but, but think about this. What does it mean for us politically to look out for the weak among us in our church? I think I'm going to give you a couple practicals here, but don't hate me for my terrible examples here, but I was thinking of like a 30-something, you know, uh, talking and bemoaning the fact that abstinence-only education is so terrible to some freshman girl in college. 
whose hormones are in, you know, or guy, you could do whatever else, is really struggling with that idea. Okay? So it seems kind of like nuance, and some of you are like, well, I don't even know what you just said. Uh, <laughs> and so that's fine. Or here, here's another one. How about an older white guy telling a young person of color who kind of came out of a really, really heavily engaged uh, political environment before he was a Christian that he couldn't be a Christian and vote for abortion? I don't know, these are two examples that I kind of came up with. You probably can come up with way better examples. The whole point is that how in what we recommend and how we talk about politics could possibly harm the weaker people among us. We may be approving something in our rights and in our freedoms, and so you can fill in your own examples however you think uh, that's going to work. So let me give you three practicals, and then uh, I'm done. Number one, live out of love, Okay. Thinking about love is far more noble, noble than your knowledge, particularly in our conversations, guys. Political conversations are often know-it-all conversations. People are, did you know this? Did you know that? It's, there's a, a, a Portlandia uh, episode where they're, uh, it's pretty funny, they're, they're, they're like, did you read that? Did you read that? Have you read this? Have you heard about that? Only Josh, I think, gets that reference, so <laughs> speaking to my leader here so that I can get on his good side. <laughs> I follow Josh. Um, so, yes, in our conversations often, uh, we do not live out of love and speak out of love. We speak out of our knowledge. Guys, knowledge puffs up. As soon as we think we've just said something really important, we've stopped loving somebody and we care more about how we are seen and how smart we are. And the idols come out and they're sort of shown for what we were really in it for in the first place. We've got to learn and talk and vote politically as you think Jesus would. That's really hard to do. And too many of us separate the two, or we just ignore politics altogether because it's too risky, but I believe that we ought to learn and talk and vote politics as you think Jesus would. And does that mean that there are going to be people in our church who vote differently? I hope so. Because neither party is fully good or bad. And so there's going to be a variety of issues that we can agree on, disagree on, and talk through and that will allow us to, number one, show up politics for the idol it is, and two, trust God and think about Jesus more carefully when, the, when we're talking about really tough issues. We do not want to shy away from this issue any more than we want to shy away from talking about race or gender or any of the other things we talk about. We are not a church of uh, uniformity, okay, or conformity. We're a church that believes in unity. Yeah. When Paul talks about that one cry, one bread, he's talking about you guys need to come back together. Not ignore these issues, but come back together and talk through it. Are we a mouthpiece for our party, or are we a mouthpiece for Jesus? Okay? And then the last one, I think, is we've got to be really wary of pressure and of prose. And I'm using prose in a little bit of an ambivalent way here. But when people are trying to pressure us to believe something, or talking at us really, really a lot, uh, because Paul in uh, Colossians elsewhere, he says, you know, we've got to guard against these fine-sounding arguments that are ultimately based on worldly principles. Okay? These fine-sounding arguments. He's talking in this context about people being led astray to false teachers, and they're so easily led astray by fine-sounding arguments, okay, that are based simply on worldly principles and not on Christ himself. Uh, I'll reference Grant's material. Grant, a few years back, uh, uh, wrote some material and taught some class uh, on how to have conversations about politics that don't suck, uh, or something about around there. Sorry if you used the word that I used. Um, but uh, that's a great one. And then I've read a book recently that I've really enjoyed and I'll recommend to you uh, called The Righteous Mind. 
uh, How Good People um, Can Believe Differently in Religion and Politics. It's written by an atheist, uh, but he talks about morality, and I've been using this material a little bit, taking tests. Everyone likes to take tests. There's one, what would you do for a million dollars? That gets your, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty messed up. But if you want to uh, look at it, it's called yourmorals.org. Yeah, sounds really legitimate. Um, but it is. It's actually based on a lot of, of research, believe it or not. I want to read uh, Colossians 3 uh, to you, and then I'm going to close. 3, 15 through 17. Not the whole thing. You're like, oh, four chapters, one day. It's just tough. <laughs> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God, we are in the midst of a fierce uh, and evil political divide. And uh, I pray, God, that you would help us to think through this um, to rather than uh, live down to the world's expectations and maybe even sometimes to certain church history, uh, that we would be lights, um, that we would trust you, know you, uh, that you would speak truth into our hearts, into our minds, and that we would speak that to others. So we would be slow uh, to speak and quick to listen, uh, and that you would just give us wisdom. Uh, this is such a tricky topic, and... Um, it's just hard to know what to do and how to think about it. So we trust you and know that, uh, uh, that our horse is, is hitched to you, Lord. We're not going anywhere else. I'm going to listen and wait for you to lead and guide us. Amen. Are you guys still doing Q&A or not? Uh, not. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Peace. Okay. A little bit of energy left in your brain. Just squeeze it out like the last bit of a dry lemon, and let's not miss the announcements that we've got going. So the first is that, you know, last week we didn't get to hear Leslie's half of the Ryan-Leslie uh, duo combo variety show um, sermon. And good news is that we were able to get a special appearance uh, online only for Leslie. So sh her sermon's on our podcast as we speak right now. So her sort of second half is, great, is there, so please don't miss that. Please listen to that. He does a lot of, like, countering all the stuff that Ryan got wrong. So we, you got to listen to it, obviously. Um, the next thing I want to make sure to highlight is that we talked last week for about almost five minutes about our new social network, new Facebook group kind of thing we've transitioned to. Um, I'm still available for questions about that. I'm not going to go into all the details right now. But if you go to dentonnorthchurch.com slash social network, um, it will give you details about that and have a little video introducing the idea of this new group to you. But we have moved away from our Facebook group for a bunch of reasons, and we're on a new thing. And the – oh, there we go. Yep, still there. Yeah, and that's exactly why. Anyway, so um, so we've moved to there, and our Facebook group is now paused. It's closed. So if you go to our Facebook group, you'll find announcement about this, and you'll also find a video – explaining um, how to get over to our new group, and we want you to be over there. Yes, Don. Yes. I'm so glad I'm so glad you said that so I didn't have to, you know? Don got over there so quick and even shared, like, a video clip of something cool he's, he'd watched, and I was like, man, Don is 
passing all of you guys. He's lapping you guys so fast. It is just so embarrassing. Um, the next thing is talking about the cohort mi- interest meeting, which is today. So, Troy, if you can come talk about this. Perfect. cohort interest meeting at Ryan Fork Gates House, 1903 Mystery Lane. The cohort is a church leadership development opportunity, um, so come to the meeting if you want more info. The meeting will be about 30 to 45 minutes, um, and coming to this meeting is not making commi- a commitment to sign up, so it's just to get information. That's it. So basically, as soon as we close, just go ahead, someone else will grab your chair. Just go ahead and head over to Ryan's house. So we're going to do it as soon as after church as possible. Um, and if you, for some reason, can't make it, people like Troy and Garvin and Devin, people you've seen in our community a lot, Opal, Kaylee, those people can share with you more details about the cohort if, for some reason, can't make it to the meeting. That's what they're doing at the meeting also. But if you really have to have a, another option of hearing that, you can hear from them directly. So um, last two things are the men's breakfast is next Saturday at Ryan Plache's house at 9 a.m., do we have a slide for that? I forgot to see. Oh, heck yeah. There we go. And then also we have the Ladies Book Club the next day, May 22nd. So that's from 1 to 4 after church, a couple hours after you can grab lunch and stuff, and then head to discuss the book you guys have been reading. So please don't miss that. And then the last thing um, is, I said the last two things, but I had more, is that the um, summer small groups, a lot of you guys have already signed up, but if for some reason you've missed this already, Either you're not in a small group um, at all or you're a student that's going to be here for the summer. We really want you to be in some of our small groups, get to hang out with you and read the Bible and talk about living our lives for Jesus together. And it's always a highlight for us old folks to get to hang with some of the students and get to know you guys better. So please sign up behind me there and just give us your availability and we'll get you plugged into a small group. And then the last thing is just our giving. You can give a one-time or a recurring gift at northchurch.com slash donate. And also at our Venmo. And one thing we failed to mention a couple weeks ago when we did our, like, finance talk, we normally do a, a finance update of some kind in May because <laughs> a good chunk of our church is gone during the, the summer. Like, we lose a good amount of our students. But some of the main expenses, like meeting here, et cetera, are the same. So usually we just give an update and say, hey, help us kind of stay afloat during the summer, uh, even while you're gone. And we just totally failed to mention that. So we're sorry. That's something that just, like, is so habitual in our minds. But another thing to sort of add to your mental checklist of things to help kind of cover in our church and keep us going is just that there's times like that where a good part of our congregation is gone for a little bit, and then they're back. And we want to make sure we can still meet here, you know, do our basic um, ministry stuff that is kind of streamlined and, and doesn't cost a ton, but we have a lot of the same costs regardless of who's here what seasons of the year, what times school is in session, et cetera. So I'm going to say a short prayer, and then we can get going. Um, Lord, thank you so much for this day, this chance to worship together, to hear from Brad. Uh, Lord, help us just to have that sink into our minds and our hearts today uh, and this week, and help us to lead with love and not with knowledge. Uh, remind us of that every day, please. Uh, we need that um, all the time. You're so good to us. Thanks for this community. Thanks for loving us as we are and inviting us to do what you are doing. Help us not to put any idols um, in front of, of anything that we're doing and put you first and seek you always. Um, and Lord, you're so good. And we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.